You're listening to Adam Air MD GED Underground Cartoon Therapy. Never gonna fucking corporate sell your ass out. Welcome back, guys. Got a special episode for you. I'm hanging out with Leonard Nimoy. In Search Of has investigated the mystery of many ancient monuments, the pyramids, Stonehenge, and Easter Island. A solution to these puzzles may be concealed in Florida's Coral Castle. This monumental structure was created by one man with his bare hands in the 20th century. What strange forces created this castle of secrets? Welcome back to Adam Air MD GED Underground Cartoon Therapy. This is a sequel to the Spooky LA episode number 13, How I Met the Ghost of Robin Williams and the Skinwalker. This is about my adventure going to Key West and everything in it. So stick around and listen up. I'll tell you everything I know. This series presents information based in part on theory and conjecture. The producer's purpose is to suggest some possible explanations, but not necessarily the only ones, to the mysteries we will examine. Hang out, dude. Welcome back, guys. Well, this episode connects to three other episodes that I've had on. One where I met the ghost of Robin Williams and a skinwalker. And I had C2 on there talking about how he had to take down a Wendigo in northern Canada, which connects to the Wendigo PTSD episode, which is from this season. And then uh, it also connects to the undersea world of Adamair, MDGED, which is about my experiences around the ocean. Specifically, one story connects to Key West, where I got sent to Key West with my uh, church youth group or whatever that my mom was basically blackmailing me to to go into. And uh, I don't want to give away any spoilers on it, but it's a hell of a fucking little story, including an unfortunate death, the puking up of a pile of pearls, and... uh, riding a manatee illegally 500 yards to another channel island and being busted by the Coast Guard. It's all on there, buddy. (laughs) I won't even tell you how it happens. (laughs) You got to go listen to it. And it also connects to 821 from last season about how I opened a portal. I'm not even going to launch into that. You're going to go back and listen to that. And once you've heard all of those episodes, then you can come back and listen to this one. I'm just telling you what to do. Don't worry about it. Uh, Today's episode is brought to you by Gorilla Glue. A fine, hearty smoke. Oh. So, you know... I'm on the verge of leaving L.A. I hadn't left yet. I was about to. I didn't want to work around fucking child predators and... these kind of scumbags. 
And uh, I remember feeling really depressed and Nancy this one day. And, uh, <laughs> oh man, I was in my room. You gotta keep in mind, I've already met the ghost of Robin Williams. I got harassed by a skinwalker. <laughs> There's some shit going on, man. Plus, everybody in my neighborhood's a fucking gangbanger or a drug addict or some fucking crazy ass shit that I gotta fucking deal with. Fucking LA, man. Oof. Spooky LA. So, you know. I kind of was suicidal, I guess. I won't, you know, it's not a big surprise. I was suicidal. I was thinking about fucking checking the fuck out. And I had this uh, call from the creator. And I was like, what's up, creator? And creator was like, well, I need you to go to Key West. And he didn't hesitate. He just spit it right out. I was like, Key West, huh? I was like, you know I'm in L.A., right? He's like, yep. And I was like, so what on earth do you want me to do in, in uh, you know, Key West? And he started off like this. And he kind of, like, paused for a moment, and he looked at me. And then went, it kind of went like this. He's like, boy, I'm going to make you a deal. I bet you can't make it to Key West and meet three, three people. I need you to meet an ex-sniper. I need you to meet the poser porn star producer. And I need you to meet the wacky investor. I was like... Are you kidding me? He goes, nope. And I'm betting the boys that you're going to make it. That's like the boys, huh? <laughs> so I got my ass up to Barstow. I told my roommates to fuck off for a while. I was going to be back when I was back. They were like, uh-huh. Doing their dabs. <laughs> I got up to Barstow. And I stuck my fucking thumb out for the first time since 92, and I hitchhiked that fucking whole Highway 40. It was pretty cool. All I thought about was how I was going to find these fucking three people, and I didn't have anything better to do with my life, thank fuck. No responsibilities. My career was on halt. And it felt good to go. Fuck yeah. I got to North Carolina. I saw a couple buddies. Hung out for a few days. And then I hit the highway again. And I got down to South Carolina, and I saw a friend there. The best part was, I got popped outside of Atlanta in Clayton County. 
and the guy was like a big old dude. And he goes, what you doing out here on the interstate, son? And I looked at him, and I was like, look familiar. And he goes, wait a minute, Adam? And it was my fucking cousin I used to skate with and fucking vandalize shit with when I was a kid. Oh, now he's a gangland sheriff in Atlanta. He's like, I bet you're used to riding in the back of these things. I was like, not today. He drove me 13 miles at 140 miles an hour to fucking Macon, Georgia, buddy. <laughs> I said goodbye, and I told him I loved him. That was about it. Next. I finally fucking made it into Orlando, you know? Shit smells like Disney World threw up. Oh, fuck yeah. My bus was late. <laughs> Haven't heard this in a while. Anyway, I fucking uh, had a fucking reserved uh, hostel in Miami. And the hostel I was staying at, oh man, guess what? Porno convention. So guess who got to stay in the hostel with a bunch of porn stars for fucking the next uh, couple nights anyways. Oh yeah. I couldn't believe it, man. I haven't been to Miami in a while, too. To skate the fuck out of this place. Little Havana. I did go down there, too, and got some fucking food. Shit's fucking the best fucking Cuban food you'd ever had in your life. Oh, yeah. Spent some time on the beach. Hustled up a few bucks. And sure enough, man, met this guy. Says he wants to fucking make the porno. I was like, hmm. And I was like, you ever made one? It's like, no, but I'd like to have you in one. And I was like, this guy is out to lunch. <laughs> I met a couple of the girls he was talking to. And they got up and left, dude, because <laughs> he was fucking an idiot. I walked off. I was like, yeah, good luck, man, making a porno, dude. He's like, well, I will, I will make one. And I talked to God, you know. And I was like, so I found him, huh? And I was like, one down, two to go. Two to go. <laughs> I did enjoy Miami. Pretty fucking great. The weed wasn't that great. Not that good. Yeah. Fuel prices continue to rise. Quit paying through the hose. Ride Metro <laughs> bus and Metro rail. For just $1.50 a ride, it's a smart commute that helps conserve fuel. All it takes is change. And you can pocket about $3,000 a year in savings. It's easier than you think. Call Miami-Dade Transit at 305-770-3131 or log on to miamidade.gov slash transit. We'll take you there. Yeah.
You'll take me there, all right. And you fucking did. Yeah. Yep. Everybody was trying to fucking rip me off on a ride, trying to get to Key West or down to Florida City, to fucking Coral Castle, rather. That's what I ended up doing. You gotta take a fucking train and two buses. Fucking depressing as fuck. It wasn't that fucking bad. <laughs> I was thinking about that Coral Castle, man. I was like, dude, I can't believe I'm fucking going. I was so excited. But then I was like, oh shit, fans calling in. Hmm. Anyway, I ain't got no weed, dude. I'm <laughs> not for you. For eight bucks, <laughs> I'm really proud that I went on the fucking bus, dude. I'm telling you, everybody was like, fifty bucks, sixty bucks. Like, fuck this shit, man. And then I just figured out I can take it all the way there for eight bucks and then for two more bucks. I can get on another bus and that one goes 126 miles through all the keys. And that is a fucking ride, dude. Oh my God. But right now, I'm about to go to Coral Castle. Ugh. My head's gonna fucking explode. <laughs> I miss Wesley Willis. Rock over London. Rock on Chicago. Oh yeah. When I finally got off the last bus, some redneck bitch fucking tried to run me over. Fucking cunt. I was so excited. I was going to Coral Castle. It's kind of like this place that lives in your childhood, you know, and... You don't really think it's real <clears throat> until you're really there. So, you know, the fucking story about this guy from Lithuania named Ed, who was a little tiny dude who was looking for this kind of land in Florida, I guess. Some specific kind of land. The mythos behind it is that, you know, he used levitation. He used some kind of levitation, some mystical shit. Mm hmm. 
This little four foot guy would. He was like the size of a fucking wrist rocket, basically. He couldn't fucking lift a fucking pile of sweaters, you know, but somehow was able to maneuver 30 ton coral pieces of rock. All this crazy ass shit. And when you get there, man. Oh my god. It was everything I ever thought it would be. I got to see the big old Saturn coral piece and walk through the little things and go up in the tower and met a couple friends. And when I got out of there, I said goodbye and kept the memory forever. Went to fucking Lawn John Silver's at the edge of Florida City. Got three pieces of fish and two fucking chickens. A couple hush puppies. Oh my god. I soaked those bastards in malt vinegar and caught a bus. The bus was nice, man. <laughs> Got on there, pay your little fee, and you sit down. Super crowded. People go into all parts of the little channels out there. I guess the Keys have a pretty crazy story about them, you know. There's a lot of stories out here, man. You see these fucking highways that weren't finished. Going from fucking uh, point to point. There's like an unfinished railroad out here too, you know? It's kind of weird. <clears throat> You're just surrounded by the ocean. A lot of rich people out here. <laughs> I remember when I rolled into town and I got off the little bus and I wasn't even sure what I was doing. And I had an investor at that time. And he was my go-to guy when I needed the funds. And I was doing pretty well. I called him up and he was like, yeah, I got you, I got you. Motels aren't fucking cheap, man. <laughs> fucking a quarter a night. But my guy was good on it. And he comforted me and he said, just relax, get some rest. And whatever you need to do there, you'll find it. And I believe in you. It's like, thanks, man. Fucking A. You know, when I was here, when I was a kid, that was the last time I was fucking out here, dude. And, you know, like I said, go back and listen to the Undersea episode. And the manatee stories on there, you know. And you kind of need to hear that story, but... I'll tell you, I did meet this manatee when I was a kid. It was the first time I ever saw a manatee, you know. And on the story, there's these two hippies that are feeding the manatee off of a dock with a bag of fucking lettuce. And they got these heads of lettuce. <laughs> and they're holding it out. And uh, the manatee came up and ate the lettuce. And it was gigantic. It was like the size of a fucking... I, I mean, it was fucking huge, man. I mean, like a sofa couch 
about the size comparison. And it was a baby, man. And this motherfucker just ate that fucking lettuce in one swoop, you know? And I remember seeing it, and I remember it. And, you know, I did this illegal move where... Oh, fans calling in. Hey, hey, what's going on? Oh, hey, Italy. Anyway, uh... You know... The thing that moved me was that it had these scars on its back. And it fucking freaked me out, dude. And I was like, no. And I remember jumping in and the hippies were all like, no, you can't do that, no. And I didn't want to let go of it and it just took off, dude. And I was holding onto it. And it was just propelling or water like a fucking submarine or whatever dude and I remember how it felt and <laughs> being in this very surreal very deep and dangerous situation <laughs> where it wasn't going uh, it didn't seem like it was going to go up dude but when it did go up you know and it fucking threw me off its back and was like yo homie <laughs> later and I remember it you know I just remember the manatee I did get in trouble. You have to go back and listen to the episode. Anyway, uh... <laughs> here it is years later. And I found this place to check into and shit. And I was running around already. And I went down to the end and to the... This one boat dock. And I asked a guy there that was working there. I was like, yo, man, uh... Are there manatees I can go check out? And they were like, well... <laughs> maybe 20 years ago but since then you know they've all kind of migrated further away from here and shit because of all the traffic and stuff I thought that was just bullshit and sad bunch of fucking New York motherfuckers coming out here buying up property Key West you know they buy up all the shit they fucking do whatever the fuck they want and they run off the endangered wildlife man you know and so, you know, I was like, well, I just want to take a walk around anyway. He's like, yeah, feel free. So I'm like walking down the docks and I'm looking down and stuff. And I looked down and I didn't see nothing, you know. I was like, eh, fuck it, you know, start walking back. And I hear this, and I look over and I saw its tail. And I recognized that tail, man, because there was a piece missing out of it. And that was one of the things I was freaking about when I saw that fucking manatee when I was a kid. And that was what these hippies were saying. You know, the fucking boats, they fucking run out of here. These guys are wired on cocaine and shit. and They fucking run over the manatees. And I was like, wow. Holy shit, no way, dude. And I looked over and it was, it was the same one, man. I saw the same scars. And I was like, wow. And I took some photos of it, you know. And I couldn't believe it, man. It was the same one. It was older. Bigger. But it looked sad. Made me sad. And that was kind of my moment, you know, to, to reflect... 
in the time of uh, tragedy at that point in which I met the manatee. And now, and I watched it swim south towards Cuba. <laughs> and he was out of there and the guy walked over to me and he's like, that is so weird. He's like, they're never around here anymore, dude. He's like, it's just a really rare thing that you caught it today. And I was like, yeah, maybe so. <laughs> well, the story shifts here, buddy. So I got back to the motel. And it was late. I'd been wandering it around for hours and hours. Didn't really think about it. It's like, fuck it, I'll show up in the back at the motel when I get there, you know? But then I got back and... There was all these guys hanging out, drinking beer out front, you know? That's a typical scene in Key West. All of Key West pretty much drinks. I even had a drink. <laughs> I didn't have a shot, no. But I did have a... No, I had a... I thought I had a beer. Yeah, it was cool. But anyway... I was sitting there and... Uh, this old man kept eyeballing me, man, you know? He must have been closer to 80, but just a thick motherfucker, man, you know? And I saw it on his arm, it said Semper Fi. And I was like, huh. And he's like, talking to me and, where you from, da 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 da. I was like, you got a lot of inquisitive questions old man <laughs> and he goes you know I could kill a motherfucker from two and a half miles away LRR long range recognizance sniper I was like no shit he's like yep for fucking 40 years eight tours I was like, God damn, man. He's like, look at the arms on you, man. He's like, I bet you could take a motherfucker out from about a mile easy. I was like, what are you talking about? He goes, I see it in your eyes. You see it in my eye, huh? He's like, I'm not fucking around with you. Do I look like I'm fucking around with you, young man? I was like, nope. He goes, I've taken out fucking over 200 people. I was like, no shit. I was like, how do you feel? He goes, ready for another beer. And I gave him this beer. And we hung out all night and talked about killing people. Shooting people. <laughs> Everybody was in on the conversation, too. Like, oh, yeah, that'd be a great way to kill somebody. Yeah, yeah. Like 15 people. 
We live in the purge, y'all. <laughs> Make America great again, dude. You know, I went to bed that night. And a fucking army of red ants fucking had somehow infiltrated my bed. And ate the shit out of my fucking leg, man. I was in so much goddamn pain. I saw him the next day, and the old man, his name was Cookie, by the way. I don't know if I said that earlier. I'm pretty baked, but... Cookie was like, what's up with you, sir? And I was like, well, I got ate the fuck out of And he goes, yeah, been there. I called my investor, and he sent me to a fucking nude fucking resort or whatever. <laughs> got to the nude resort fucking motel thing. <laughs> Hit on the fucking chick running the place. She was from Jamaica. Girl number one. <laughs> it didn't end there, man. Fucking three days, dude. I just was loving it, man. <laughs> fucking stole a bike, rode through the ghetto, fucking. Went to the grocery store and fucking stole a couple cans of whipped cream and did some old school whippets behind Ernest Hemingway's house. And then I learned that fucking uh, the White House used to be over in Key West. And then, I don't know, I guess they moved it to wherever it is now in Virginia, wherever the fuck it is. <laughs> so I went swimming. And I saw this woman in the group, and we had a stare-off contest for about an hour, and then she got out of the fucking water and was all, Key West was weird. It's got a lot of witchcraft around it. <laughs> it was cool, man. I had a bunch of, like, jewelry boxes with me that I was making that I was hustling all over the country pre-virus and uh I made a couple hundred bucks in one day shit man I ended up making like 600 bucks in like three days on the third day I went to a fucking uh bookstore and the guy was telling me about Coral Castle and shit and he goes Oh, yeah, you got to go see Robert the Doll. And it's like, fucking Robert the Doll? He goes, yep. I think you got to go, man. I think that's who you, who you are. <laughs> and he started, like, looking at me all kind of weird. I was like, okay. Went back and looked up Robert the Doll and figured out a couple cool things. And actually... It did kind of relate to Coral Castle, but I'll save that for the next part here. <laughs> Fucking surf punks. Word. As a child who hasn't dreamed of a favorite doll or a teddy bear coming to life and being a very best friend forever and ever. Ugh. Robert Eugene Otto had a doll who stayed with him his whole life. An artist and his muse in eccentric Key West, Florida. Hmm. I was in Key West, Florida. Hey. 
What the fuck? This doll was given to the six-year-old Robert Eugene by the family's Bahamian maid, who was said to practice voodoo. It was the perfect likeness of the young boy, and was even named Robert after him. As a young boy, Eugene developed a strange fascination with Robert. He spent long hours alone with his doll, talking to it. And when anything went wrong at home, Eugene always knew who to blame. It was Robert, he would tell his parents. Robert did it. Yeah. Robert did it. <laughs> Eugene Otto became one of the most celebrated artists in this famous artist's colony. His fame grew beyond the Southerly Keys, as did his wealth. He preferred to paint in seclusion, alone, indoors, and with Robert always by his side. Ugh. Harsh. Eugene settled down with his wife, Anne, here at the artist's house close to Duval Street in Key West. Robert, of course, went with them. Anne disliked the doll from the moment she first saw it. It gave her chills just to look at it, and she didn't like her husband's obsession with it. Still, she humored him, and Robert was given a room of his very own, away in the attic. There he stayed until Eugene told his wife that Robert was angry and demanding a room with a view. Despite Anne's objections, he moved Robert out of the attic and down to the turret room. Robert was seated at the window, looking out over the street. Children on their way to school said they saw Robert through the windows, moving about the turret room, glowering at them. Inside the house, Eugene became increasingly irrational and violent, <laughs> smashing things and lashing out at his wife and screaming like a madman. And then all of a sudden, he would be himself again, and he would always say exactly the same thing. It was Robert. Robert did it. Robert's influence seemed to grow stronger and stronger. A plumber working alone in the turret room with Robert fled the house in terror, he later said he'd heard Robert giggling. Uh, fuck that. Whoa! <laughs> Other visitors swore that Robert's expression changed when they looked at him. Sometimes they said that he looked like pure evil. Eugene became sicker and sicker, becoming so despondent he locked himself away in the turret room until he finally died with Robert the doll by his side. <laughs> Free at last, Anne fled the house, leaving Robert behind in the attic. The new owners discovered him soon after moving in. They took one look at Robert and knew that this, whatever it was, was something they definitely didn't want in their home. <sighs> Robert ended up here, awaiting years in the East Martello Museum, where he holds an eerie fascination for everyone who sees him. Visitors to the museum, completely ignorant of this strange story, have been shocked as the expression on his face apparently changed before their very eyes. A psychic investigator said that Robert's soul is slowly dying, his hair turning white as he grows older. Today, the artist's house where Robert once lived is a guest house. Stay a night, if you will. Go ahead. He's still here, in the darkest recesses of the attic, say the staff, who avoid coming up here.
And after her death, Eugene's wife Anne appeared here too. Her ghost stalks the turret room. Anne is trapped here now with Robert, the doll. And as for Robert, the artist, he tragically discovered that the things we love to possess sometimes end up possessing us. Uh, oh, you know how fucked up that sounded? So that's where I was heading, off to the fucking little museum there. Hmm. Well, I was sold. I was off to see Robert. Did a little research. I guess where uh, the dude lived before he uh, was married to that chick or whatever was in the same area that Ed Leeskallen had uh, originally constructed uh, Coral Castle. I kind of put it together, you know, disruptances in that fucking little neighborhood or whatever is what made him move. I heard that he moved 125 miles down the road, and then I heard he only moved 7 miles down the road. I've heard both. Who knows? Fucking Mandela effect shit too, right? <laughs> well, I'm going to be honest, man. This story I'm telling you, you know, it's really only part of the story. For as much fun and all the stuff that I've been having, I was suppressed by darkness. And I was going through the relapse of, when I get done with my little adventure here, I'm leaving L.A., you know? I had thought about staying, but... I couldn't do it. I couldn't bring myself to do it, man. I rode the bike to the museum, the Key West Museum. I learned about the... Natives that lived here and how they had these, like, vampire teeth and, like, cool-ass tattoos and they had claws and stuff. And they were really kind, but they were the first people to, like, be known for spear fishing. And they were, like, really tall. I guess the first graveyard was out here. And the first horse-drawn <laughs> um, funeral cart. And finally, I saw Robert. And there's a sign that says, Ask his permission before you take the picture. We're not responsible for anything that happens afterward. I said, hey, Robert, I appreciate you letting me take a picture uh, with you. And I respect you, dude, and whatever you went through. And I felt the green light, and I took the picture. You know. After seeing Robert, I was like, well, I've already met two of the people. I gotta meet the investor. I rode around, I went back to the nude resort, and it was hot as fuck out, dude. I mean, it was like 93 fucking degrees. I just stripped down. Didn't have to worry about walking around nude. I was like, this is what they must feel like in Spain and crap. So I went outside, and there was like two top-heavy Swedish ladies sitting poolside, and I didn't have any problem conversing with them. We had a nice talk. 
gigantic iguanas all over the fucking place. And roosters. They're fucking everywhere, man. And you'll just see, like, a gigantic iguana just come up to your ass and shit. Well, according to island law, you can, uh, you can kill the iguana if it's, like, fucking with you or whatever, I guess. I don't know why you'd have to kill the iguana. (laughs) A human will figure out a reason. As far as the fucking rooster, they're covered by 500 fucking year old law, ancient law, and it's five years in prison and $5,000 fine if you fuck with a rooster, and they can just get on your car, and they can do whatever, and you can't touch it, total three felony motherfucker, (laughs) what a cock, Oh, God, so I was riding around, man. I went to all kinds of different little places I hadn't seen before and weird little streets and just kept going up and down the streets. Finally got hungry. Went back to the fucking main strip, you know? And I saw that there was a bunch of vendors on the street, you know? They were closing up. It was the end of the night, and I saw this lady struggling, you know, and she uh, had dropped, she had dropped her uh, box or whatever, and shit just went everywhere, and these college dicks were all like, I was like, you fucking dicks, keep on walking, (laughs) you know, I'm I'm a bar fight motherfucker. I went over and helped the lady out, started picking her shit up, you know, and got her stuff. And just, like, you know, there was, like, six more boxes of whatever she was loading onto this truck. I just did it. She's like, oh, thank God, you're so great. I can't believe how everybody just walks by these days, and they they know, they can just tell I can't, I'm having a hard time, and no one will help you. And I was like, well... I try to break the wheel of shit, man, when I can, you know. Otherwise, I'm feeding it. And she laughed and said, you want to smoke a joint? I was like, fuck yeah. Smoked a joint, found out this lady was really depressed, you know. I gave her my phone number. Went to Wendy's, got a four for four, told her goodbye. Went back to the motel. And about two hours later, I got a call and she's like, I want to pay you for a job. And I was like, okay. Turned out she lived in Summerlin Key. And, uh, she set it up to come meet meet me and said she was moving all of her junk out of the summer rental house, you know? And, um, that's what I did. I, uh, stayed a couple nights And it got kind of weird. She didn't stay stable. Well, big surprise. I really cared about the lady. She wanted to put me up in her place and uh, get me off the motel circuit for a minute. And I understood where she was coming from. She was nice, but uh, something was wrong. I think something happened to her right before... I met her, you know. It's kind of weird. And we're fragile. 
and I was trying to be understanding and um, I got my limits everybody's got fucking limits man PTSD's definitely got trigger limits and I'd put myself in a position that I was a little in over my head she was a little bit crazier than than I was in a lot of ways and I'm pretty fucking crazy obviously <laughs> the last night before I was like look I just want to pack your stuff up and I want to get back to the you know Key, Key West you gotta remember I was in Summerlin Key I was like roughly 30 miles away and uh he's like fine fine I get you off the street and did it. I was like, please don't talk to me that way, dude. I, and it was really uncomfortable, you know, when people are making you feel like this. You don't know who the fuck they are. You're trying to help them out. I didn't even ask for the money. She offered it up and kept throwing it in my face. Things like that. <sighs> Sad things. So by the next day, you know, got everything out and it's a bunch of fragile shit, man. And she kept just touching me while I was. And what I mean by touching me, she'd be like, you got everything? And, she, and she'd come up and grab me while I was packing this kind of thing. Like a, It was like Jenga. It was like super Jenga in this little trailer, like all this sh- fragile shit. And I was like, oh, my God, man. I was sweating bullets already. It was hot as fuck. Stressful shit. And, um, you know, at one point, she startled me. I, I thought she was done touching me. <laughs> it has been about four or five times. Please, please don't do that. Look, I, I'm done. I don't do well with that. You know, please just let me pack up your stuff and I'll be on my way. You know, I was trying guys. <laughs> she came up from behind me, man, scared the shit out of me, dude. And I was like, ah, and all this fragile ass, expensive glass came tumbling down and the one glass came out and it cut my hand and it cut my leg. I don't know how she did it. And I was like, look what the fuck you did, man. I yelled at her, you know, I was bleeding. <laughs> it wasn't like a little bleed either. It was not nice. Not hospital worthy either though. But you know, I, <laughs> I took care of it. She had called her friend over, some redneck guy, and was like, hey, man, uh, you know, she wanted to help you out, man, but uh, she didn't appreciate the way you uh, respond to her and stuff. You know, I was like, sitting there fuming when you hear this kind of shit and you know the reality of it and people out there who are listening to this and you've been in that situation, you know exactly what the fuck I'm talking about. I had to bite the bullet, you know, and show some empathy at that point. And I think the creator was looking for that. And I was like, well, she is a fucking nut, but I I get it. So am I. (laughs) And so uh, he just made sure I left the land wherever I was at, you know, and and they gave me uh, my money. 2,500 smackers. So right now I'm at 31. (laughs) And I got a couple more days left in Key West I walked up the street and there's a little island bus the same one I took in to begin with and it runs like every two hours or something so 
I could have been on the shit end waiting two hours, but at least it's pretty out. And suddenly, I looked over in the corner of this gigantic carpet warehouse that was across the street from the bus stop. I think it's a big old warehouse carpet place. And I saw it. I saw it hanging out of the fucking dumpster. And I, I took the walk. I could see it from fucking a long ways away. I mean, that was a football, fucking football field away, man. Looking in this dumpster and seeing this little tiny metal thing gleaming, shining out of it. What was it, you say? Oh, well, let me tell you. Fuck yeah, dude. Oh, hell yeah. I just dumpster dived a lifetime. No, I'm just kidding. Actually, it was a 1968 Malibu Hopper. <laughs> fucking uh, beach cruiser that someone just threw the whole fucking bike away. There was nothing wrong with it, man. And it had these cool-ass tassels that they added. <laughs> on the end of it. <coughs> it was fucking badass, dude. I drugged that motherfucker out. It was like, fuck the bus. My mind was pretty blown about everything that was going on, you know. I was riding a bike in the middle of the ocean, surrounded by beautiful keys for the next almost 30 miles, man. I sat there and I talked to God. You know what, man? Only religion makes you feel bad about the way you talk to the Creator. And you know what I mean? They tell you it's their way or the highway. And I don't agree with any of that, man. That's bullshit. The Creator is so expansive, dude. I know motherfuckers that are into all kinds of shit. And as long as it doesn't really do the two things, you know, rape and murder, you're good. You can do whatever the fuck you want. I just dumpster dived this fucking bike. That's what I did. And I was riding it and I was happy. I thought about the old lady and I kind of was like, well, I guess I kind of let her down. But I did the best I could, and she was pretty neurotic. I don't know about that redneck dick at the end, but I hope he takes care of her. And I rode off with a fucking new bike and 2500 bucks in my pocket. All because I was nice to somebody. You know, over the next day, I went down to the... where the Caribbean cruise liners come in. And I saw how they, uh do the lottery, and that was cool. The lottery is where they had all the artists on the island and they bid, and you know, 45 get picked out of 50, five got it back to bullet. I was like, yeah, you got a better chance, you know. These wealthy fucks get off the fucking love boats with their girlfriends and shit, and they just want to spend all their dough all at once. The artists end up making pretty good. I thought about it. I was like, what's my chances of uh, getting in today? I'm leaving in a couple days. 
And she goes, well, you'd probably get, get, you'd probably get cut. And I showed her the fucking two fresh cuts I got from moving. One which was bleeding. And I was like, I guess I've been cut enough as it is, huh? She kind of looked at me and I got on my little bike and rode off. A couple days later, I was ready to go. Go back to fucking L.A. And I was hanging out with a bunch of people at my nude resort, you know, and the sun was setting. It was purple. And everybody was happy, you know. Except for this one guy, and I was like, hey, what's up with you, man? And he goes, oh, I'm a chef here, and I was like, yeah, what, what's wrong? And he goes, oh, someone stole my bike. And I was like, well, see that bike right there? And he goes, oh, yeah, that motherfucker's vintage, dude. And I was like, hell yeah, it is. And I was like, and, it, and it's yours. And he goes, what? And I was like, yeah, man, I don't even live out here, dude. I live in L.A., I wish I kind of lived out here, but I don't, and I'm not taking this thing on the airplane, so go ahead. He fucking loved that, dude. He's like, I can't fucking believe it. And he goes, you don't want anything for it? And I was like, well, no, not really. And he goes, well, what do you need? And I was like, food and weed. And he goes, I've got tons of both. And motherfucker, this guy fucking busted out some of the best kind bud I've ever fucking had. And everybody was pretty much in concurrence with that. And he busted out some of the best food I've ever had. I kid you not, man. It was just, just some of the best grub I've ever had. I couldn't even tell you what it was. Exotic. That's what it was. One guy held up his beer can and everybody cheered. I cheered with him with my Dr. Pepper can. Here's to the Conk Republic and everybody in it. Here, here. The next day I got on the bus, did the long ass 126 mile long fucking ride back, and uh, thought about how I'm not gonna let anybody ever make me feel bad about my relationship with God. And it's between me and God, it's not between me and man. Because man's full of shit, and we all know it. Anyway, guys, I got C2 coming in, and he's going to break down the fucking uh, Robert the Doll and Coral Castle for us, because C2 is my go-to. C2 go-to. All right, guys, I've had a great time. Key West was a trip. I fulfilled my mission. I did what God wanted me to do. It didn't have to be this fucking holy thing. I just needed to trust that it wasn't me asking me, and that I wasn't crazy, but rather that it was, it was real. Only you can do that. And don't feel bad for feeling crazy about it. Just don't hurt nobody, okay? Because if you're going to hurt somebody, it's, it's not God. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. If you got to stop somebody like a fucking predator, it might be God. So don't get confused. And don't fulfill your flesh mind like that. And let's stick around and see what the fuck C2 has to say. Here's a Key West, man. Wouldn't trade that motherfucking time for anything in the world. And thanks to the Swedish booty call I got before I left. Yeah, that was a good night. <laughs>
How about now? You getting that same kind of echo in your voice, 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 voice? <laughs> well, besides you're emulating an echo, it actually sounds perfect. Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, welcome back to the show, C2. And uh, I guess uh, thank you for letting me harass you for the last 36 hours straight about Coral Castle. <laughs> and Can you do this investigation for me? Oh, my God. <laughs> Can you look up Robert Nadal? Oh, fuck. You know, this is what C2 has to deal with, y'all. I am like Dennis the Menace, fucking Mr. Wilson, Mr. Wilson. You know, fucking every fucking day. I am not a big, fat, angry man. Thank you. Well, <laughs> I might be. No. <laughs> um, anyway, you ready to do this thing? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're all good to go. Cueing spooky music in three, two, one. All right, C2, thank you. And uh, go ahead, give us the fucking Oscar Mayer lowdown. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (coughs) I will give you the Ricky on this ticket. Okay. Um, Yeah, well, we're getting two things we're going to look at today, and one is Coral Castle, and the other is Robert the Doll. I was aware of Coral Castle, I have not been there, and Robert the Doll I was completely unaware of. I did have to make some calls to my OTN associates, or other than normal groupings, and we did have one individual that specializes in Coral Castle and the science behind it, and I was able to reach out to another person who has done multiple um, paranormal investigations of 534 Eaton Street, which is the original house it was in, as well as the museum. And they were allowed access to the doll and did find a bit of information that contradicts a lot of the older legends, but in its own way, it's kind of a mystery to itself. Now, so, hold on. Hold on. Uh, what were the contradictions? Do you know any of the... Oh, yes. Um, the doll does have a cloth mark, an ink mark on the cloth. And it says, manufactured by Stief Company, S T E I F S Company of Germany. And a further investigation shows that Otto's grandfather is supposed to have uh, perched it while on a trip in Germany in 1904. Now, this makes sense because the, I did look up that company, and this, this company is a, a, was a German designer known for helping creating the teddy bear for, uh, God, what was his name again? The president? I should know this. Nobody's going to hate me. Teddy Roosevelt. No, uh, shit. Yeah, so... And it does got that Teddy Roosevelt thing over Robert, you know? Yeah, so it's kind of funny that the uh, designer of this doll, from the mark that was on it, was the same Richard Steve that designed the teddy bear for Roosevelt. So, But the legend of the doll was that um, the mother of Otto, which was the kid at the Otto family home, his name was, I believe, Jean, from my notes, um, found one of her servants actually practicing Mancumba, Chambale, or Vudan, one of the Bahaman uh, practices, right. and was fi- and was fired on the spot. So the legend was that she made this doll, and the hair is human hair, but it actually was done a gene analysis, and it does it's not hair from the family. Uh, but it is human hair. But the legend was that the lady had taken the kid's hair and made it with the doll as revenge. And so that is the main legend that a lot of people will purvey. Ooh. But the analysis uh, analysis of the trade stamp from Germany 
and the uh, hair not matching the family's DNA line kind of puts that one to rest, in my opinion. It still doesn't make it not haunted, uh, but it is an interesting thing to clear up that. Um, there have been many movies about the doll. Um, right. Annabelle's, which is a sister doll in events and occurrences, uh, they, did buy, they did borrow a lot from Robert the doll as opposed to the Annabelle doll itself. Which is kind of hilarious. Now, I I wanted to relate some things that are because I got a, a brief uh, sample earlier in the show about Robert the Doll mm-hmm. and the story of his little bio, so I didn't have to struggle to get through it, you know. And I just had swiped it because that's what I do. <laughs> but um, anyway, uh, he says uh, the way he's describing the um, he talks about the Haitian kind of crossover with the voodoo. Uh, and then he also says that his wife detested the doll, you know, so that human hair thing. I, I remember like witches in Denver and shit fucking talking about using hair fucking spells. And, and uh, so that doesn't surprise me that the that it is like that. But the spirit. OK, so a psych, they said a psychic analysis guy or whatever uh, examined the doll. And said that the hair is turning gray, and that its spirit is is fading away within it. Um, that is one possibility. Another interesting fact is that Robert the doll is stored in a museum in uh, Key West, I believe. I saw him. Yeah, I took yeah. a picture with him. Let's see. My notes say East Martello Museum. That's it, buddy. Yeah. All right. Now, that is actually pretty close to the sea, and maritime environments do have a tendency to leach color and bleach hair on mannequins, dummies, taxidermy over a long period of time. So while that is creepily coincidental, I do believe that one is more of an atmospheric effect. But I also do believe the uh, doll itself is something we call a Tau, T-A-U class entity. Huh. And that refers to any entity that animates a construct. Huh. And a gamma is a spirit, so what we have here is a gamma tau. And a gamma cow. Gamma tau, T-A-U. T-tau, so, tau. Yeah, yeah, so what's interesting to me is the fact that this is a very mundane item, but Florida is really, really crazy for the supernatural. And part of that is um, the whole state is nothing but an old coral reef, like literally up and down. And there's nothing but limestone caves and tunnels and channels and the waters going back and forth. And it's just the amount of water movement underground and the amount of swamp, which has a huge death factor, not like evil death, but, you know, swamps are based on decay and are very uh, entropic or, you know, catabolic environment swamps break down everything and i just believe the very nature of that constant movement of water in the dark under the ground probably is enough to initiate a huge amount of spiritual activity and that was one of our first colony areas uh in the united states um and it was established and populated pre you know united states just by a couple different countries and you know, so it has a long history, slave trade, wars. And so the amount of residual events, timelines, and things that could happen there are like the world's most 
strangest milkshake of occult events you'll run across. Florida is actually pretty dangerous in that aspect. <laughs> now, here was the thing I had come up with was where Robert the doll started in that neighborhood or whatever. I thought I thought that's probably where Ed uh, Lee Scallon or however the fuck you say his name uh, built the first uh, Coral Castle. And, oh, th yeah. and then had moved the motherfucker down the street after there was evil doll attacks in the neighborhood. <laughs> That's kind of what I had put together, kind of, in a way. Oh, I like that one a lot better than, because the Coral Castle, he decided to move it after he found out they were putting a subdivision next to property he assumed would be swamp, and that was his said reason for it moving. But that's a sad reason for moving. So yeah, maybe there were evil doll attacks and he just never talked about them. Well, the other part of the Coral Castle thing without the doll theory is that the chick he wanted to marry had just turned 18 and didn't show up and split on him. Yep. And I didn't know that he got sad and was like, well, fuck it. I don't want her to ever find it. So I'll just move the bitch up the street. Yeah. That is kind of a kick in the head, isn't it? Oh, man. Well, he shouldn't have been liking a kid to begin with. You know how I feel about that. But, uh, I oh. mean, if that's how it was and he did it legally and waited for her, I guess, uh, if that's really that they were in love and, you know, who are we to say what love is as long as it's fucking legal? You know? Yeah. I mean, you know, fuck. Uh, and back then when... He would have been in love with this girl. I always thought the story was kind of creepy. He was already an old dude. Right? Yeah, and apparently his doorbell played uh, Sweet 16 when it first, when people first started coming there. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of unresolved issues. <laughs> I don't think people want to talk about that part about Cora Castle. You know, like, well, the guy might have been this fucking... Sweet fucking lunatic, you know? <laughs> yeah, he said in a book in every home that he implies his Sweet 16 was more of an ideal than a reality, but still... I thought the chick was 17, but yeah, I guess she I, she wasn't legal at all, right? Like, Well, he, she could have been 16 at the time he was infatuated, and then that might be his uh, ideal versus reality, as he says. But still, it's just looks like kind of an emotional mess that resulted in an interesting structure. <laughs> That's a good way to safely assess it. We weren't there. We have no idea. Yeah, you know. We'll say it's a rich tapestry. <laughs> a an enriched Twin Peaks, David Lynch filtrated tapestry. No. <laughs> um, but, you know, okay, he brings the Lynch in because... Okay, the story is is that he could levitate these fucking gigantic rocks. Some people heard him singing. Some people say, no, he was, he didn't fucking levitate them. He used car batteries. I've heard all kinds of uh, different theories, and uh, I guess, you know, let's start with the scientific end. Do you mind? Oh, yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> okay, well... Could he build these three fucking logs, put these three fucking woods together, uh, logs, and hoist a chain through them and fucking move these motherfuckers with the power of car batteries? 
Nope, but he could actually use just wood and lift them quite easily. In fact, it was about a decade, it was like 13 years ago, I believe. There was an individual in the um, upper north reaches, I believe it was Wisconsin or Minnesota. His name is Wally Wallington. And using just flat wood and, uh, and it just um, and a little tiny amount of structure, he lifted a Stonehenge-sized pillar weighing 22,000 pounds and also used the same single-point physics to lift a, and move a barn all the way across his property by himself. These are very well-documented, tons of video, and his name is Wally Wallington. Even the History Channel did a special on him, and he has actually assembled a full... Uh, Stonehenge pylon with a stella across the top by himself using just buckets of dirt. He would literally dig out the ground a little bit and then build a stack of wood on each side and then tilt it at its balance point, go in there and put a log and it would off-center it, run across to the other side of the uh, giant piece and it would tilt up the other way and he put buckets of concrete there then run in put a new log and he literally walked it back up and forth vertical into the air um and this is twenty-two thousand pounds most of the biggest rocks in coral castle only rate about two to three thousand pounds maybe five thousand is the largest there wow um so and it's a rock called oolite it's called coral castle but oolite is fossil coral that got buried beneath the uh, land or ocean and compressed into a rock. Huh. So it's, it looks like coral, and it got the name Coral Castle, but it's actually old compressed um, coral that got slowly turned into limestone and it hasn't gone all the way yet. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, now, the one that blew me away uh, that I was not aware about that our other OTN unit helped me with was... A lot of those rocks fit very smoothly and, you know, show, show no machine marks, which is very odd. And there's a similar structure like this down in South America. And there's huge 20, 30 ton rocks that fit together so tight that these people put together in older times that you can't even put a blade between or a sheet of paper. I have heard that. I've heard that before where you can't even stick a razor blade. Yeah, but they Between. found something very interesting, approximately 36 kilometers uh, in from that site. There is a type of cliff sparrow, and that cliff sparrow, uh, in an independent study from National Geographic, was observed taking a type of lichen with a high phenolic acid. It's just a lichen with a very specific chemical getting it wet in the stream and then sitting there rubbing it on the rock and it turned the limestone into a clay putty where it applied the lichen and then it would use its bill to dig and out the stuff till it got hard again and then repeat this process wow. so he tried making some extracts of that lichen and applying it to the same sort of stone that was used in that structure and it turned the upper surface of the stone into a muddy plastic like substance that hardened up again so the interesting thing is that oolite has a very similar structure chemically to that stone in coral, uh, to the uh, South American one, and, uh, and the application of gyrophoric and phenolic acid in high concentrations, which are available in all those tree lichens all over Florida, would actually cause that stone to stop, soften and smush. 
So not only was he probably using the uh, double walk ladder technique like Wally Wellington to get the big pieces up and then using small amounts of effort to move them sideways, he was likely treating that oolite limestone with a phenolic gyrophoric acid from the lichen. So when they got on top, they smooshed together. Now they didn't really seal together, but they would actually just smush. You know, sometimes if you just pound two pieces of clay together, you can still pull them apart because we have an intermix. Very similar to that. So there's a lot of genius work in that castle, and it does have this hinged door. Have you seen that? No. Oh, yeah, 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 I have. Yeah. Oh, and then they changed it, right? Is that what happened? Um, it just stopped working as well. Oh. And they, didn't, and they didn't want it to break out and wear out. But what was very interesting was that the whole hinge series and rock are look like they're one piece and the slightest hand movement can push it it was like perfect in every single bit of machining but it wasn't machine right and that was the mystery so okay mystery is solved when the fact that he could actually get that bottom post all plasticky and smushy and then let the weight drive it down into there clean off that excess while it was still soft and then repeat the same on the top. And so once it's all there, it's not gonna share boundaries, but it's gonna be smooth. So he makes a perfectly smooth hinge just using chemical deformation of the actual Uwe limestone. Whether he had, how he figured that out is a mystery to me, but the chemistry of that is pretty understandable at this point. Well, his parents were scientists. Yes, yes, they were. And they were Latvian scientists. Right, well, uh, maybe that was enough to get that, to understand that kind of compound would work that way. I'm sure it kind of, he probably was Tony Stark in that way with that, in that fashion, you know, where he like, because what was the deal with him looking for a specific soil? Is it just the soil was where he could actually apply that kind of compound then? Because he was looking for this kind of crappy soil, according to the legend. Yeah, um, he found that soil, so to speak, at a second site. In fact, there is a giant decorative pool in a pit right next to the castle that uh, actually were the quarries for the um, rest of the castle once he had moved it and kept working. So he was the crappy rock, as you call it, is actually a calcium-burned rock, way too much of a pH that's really high, you know, from all the limestone underneath and they can get so high in pH it can burn the roots of anything that gets on it except certain plants. So that's a sign that that oolite type of rock is right below it. Um, <coughs> let's say uh, you basically have given us the scientific theory of how he could do it that way and build this thing and go at it and all that stuff but is it possible? And if so, no, I'm just playing. <laughs> um, could it be, could it be, you know, let me lay some more hypnotic suggestion on you. No, um, can't, could he have used levitation? Um, I don't believe so. Um, of any type that I know, and I've observed everything from electromagnetic, electromagnetic to ionic and, some types of field levitation from objects or individuals we cannot explain. Um, but they were never heavy objects. And oolite would not be 
uh, it doesn't have the right materials in it to allow an electromagnetic lift uh, or reverse magnet magnetism. So, you know, magnets would be right out on Oolite and electromagnetic um, levitation still would be right out because that actually requires teravolts and you are not achieving teravolts with uh, car batteries. And I think part of it was that you know, there's a trick uh, the military used to use and might still, where you can throw a metal grid shape, a big one too, right. into the ocean and put some voltage into it. And over a course of like a month to two years, it'll take all the material minerals out of the sea and fill up the grid. And then you can pump it dry and you have a three to six inch thick calcium, uh, phosphorus, and whatever else is in the water, gold, Fuck. silver, and like, no, and then once they're <laughs> done with it, they can actually just put the reverse charge and it comes up. Wow. That's been done since 1968. Huh. So I'm wondering if the massive use of batteries was putting an acidic electrolyte in parts of the stone and then putting current into there to actually cause the different boundaries of the calcium atoms in the oolite coral to actually swap and seal shut. So I think hmm. the batteries were actually used more for adhering possible unstable areas together through uh, zodiacal or you know electrochemical. Yeah, because C2, there's a there's a room in this tower that is just filled with these dead car batteries, man. And I'm like, well. When you look at this wedge pitch thing that's built there already, kind of, it's like, well, yeah. it's not, it is there, you know, and like there's, it just shows the photos. And, you know, it shows it like where it was in the original area, too, where, like I said, I think Robert the Doll was, because the thing about Robert the Doll around that area, and they were like in the same area. Um, but, uh, I figured that's what happened was Robert the doll kept showing up at different spots too, not just in his house. You know, there was like murders and shit around the thing that the city officials kind of, from my understanding, wanted to keep just hush hush and keep a sol more of a solid story. But, you know, if the hair of the doll was controlling the kid, you know, and the, and the hair was connected, and the kid was like, Robert did it. Robert did it, you know, but it was like, it was both, it was, the doll was able to control him through that. You gotta imagine this kid could get around, and there probably wasn't that much development at that time. So, it was easy to terrify whatever few, a lot fewer people there were in the population, you know. <laughs> yeah, and there are smaller mythical swamp creatures that actually have been reported a lot. You know, they'll come, um, and there are scrawny little twiggy black things that come out of the water, and they kind of look like real strange, you know, gangly limbed, big-headed infants, but with sharp teeth. And they were uh, often reported up till about the 1900s and then there hasn't been many reports except for deep swamp hunters and like stuff like that so the fact that some of these individuals or entities or stuff like that could exist or have been reported so thoroughly and do match a template for a couple OTNs in other areas um, 
you know, part of that could be something getting into a doll. You know, maybe something got into the doll itself, like literally, physically. Wow. Um, so, you know, that could be something that's very interesting. Well, uh, yeah, that is. That is. It, you know, it could be a towel, again, a towel, a spirit construct. And, you know, uh, poltergeists do that a lot where they don't just throw stuff, but it's a very, it's not talked about very much, but you will see in the poltergeist case that we find to be really high end and legitimate, where they will aggregate a whole bunch of junk, toys, pillows, forks, anything that they can find into a either bipedal humanoid figure, which isn't too big, or into some strange articulated figure that actually is quite capable of doing physical damage to people. So if the thing could possibly be a towel, a uh, gamma towel, or a spirit, uh, you know, a spirit that can move a, move a construct, you already have a pre-made construct, so it's absent now. So the very interesting way to deal with those is to actually just destroy the focus. So they're actually pretty highly vulnerable that way. Once they become entrenched into an object for a long period of time, the destruction of that object actually makes it very hard for it to figure out how to use anything else. So in one way, they're incredibly resilient and durable, depending on what they're made out of. And this doll has been given a good life, so to speak, and really has a lot of uh, interesting stories and observations from a lot of people. So, wow. But really, at the end, this one would be highly vulnerable just to the destruction of the doll. That uh, <clears throat> wouldn't be able to reform anything uh, that without probably being hyper-specific to that shape because it's lost its memory of how to do anything except hold that shape. So that's standard morphic field theory. Um, Sorry, I mean, it's just, that's how I feel about it. What do you think? Uh, I feel like, you know, if, because now I'm, like, thinking, what if uh, Ed was actually, like, you know, hurting kids or doing the wrong thing with, like, children, and Robert, being the spirit of this child, you know, may have, uh, come at him or something, you know, like, he's like, oh, yeah, you want to hurt kids? <laughs> but that's my imagination, dude, <laughs> you know, and I can imagine, like, Ed all like, oh, my God, <laughs> taking a sweet 16 ass down the fucking road from yeah, Chucky yeah. doll there, you know, so. Well, I mean, it did inspire a lot of stuff. Even Chucky's kind of uh, credit some influence to that. So. Oh, yeah, all of them are. I mean, like I said, yeah. you know, so, but no, I appreciate the time, C2, and uh, nice review. I've never, after all the, um, you know, shit I've heard about Coral Castle and people dead, they're dead, you know, fucking on about, oh, he, moved, he used levitation to move these fucking rocks, dude, you know, and, uh, you know, shit like that, and to hear you kind of just break it down simply kind of makes me mad at you. No, <laughs> no I, I want the fantasy. I want to know that Ed can sing to rocks and, you know, move these fucking rocks like the Anunnaki did back in the Nibiru days in ancient Egypt, you know. I think people like to be afraid of the monsters they create because if they actually knew what was really going on around them on an average day, I think most people would go insane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. I like the whole fantasy, though, you know, just the Saturday morning cartoon aspect of uh, 
Ed Lee Scallon being able to fucking do that, you know? And well, yeah, I, I'm not a skeptic. I just believe my information might be a better interpretation. <laughs> people, people are like, you don't believe in anything. It's like, well, I don't believe in stupid stuff that when we can look at other things, but I under, it's probably a lot darker and more crazy than we think. So I kind of like how you're thinking about it. And, you know, we'll go look at that darker stuff. <laughs> well, you work for Stovetop Stuffing and Easy Mac, and you're a cheap date, C2, and I appreciate you, so thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, uh, once again, before I sign off, I'm going to say please uh, talk to us down in the messages. We like to hear what you think of these, if oh, yeah. you've got any input. And I mean, if you want to call me full of uh, some shit, feel free. If you uh, think this is interesting and you'd like to share it, once again, go ahead. So, all right. Well, I'm done here, Adam. C2, it's an honor to have you. You are, once again, a mind-blowing son of a bitch. Yeah, well, only if the mind's nice to me first. Oh, hey. Ooh. That's what we're working on. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. I'm going to close this motherfucker out. C2, you be well. I'll talk to you soon. C2's signing off. All righty. Bye-bye. Well, thank you guys for going to Key West with me today. Pretty exotic little place. Got some lowdowns. Down in uh, Mallory Square, I was able to hustle the most in around that area. You gotta be careful where you hustle. You don't wanna get on somebody's territory down there in Key West. They're gonna fuck you up. Well, there's a third part to this whole thing. Robin Williams' ghost was the first part. Key West is the second. The third part's called Shelby. And it's the official move of me leaving LA. She's a good friend and hopefully I'll be able to get her. I can't promise anything these days at all <laughs> but I love her till next time guys wear a fucking mask who cares what the fuck you want you're listening to Adam Air MDGED underground cartoon therapy